Welcome out, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Conjectural Technologies, a venture industries podcast featuring your co-host, myself, uh, Brock Savage, along with my, is my longtime companda, Beast Lamode, and we are joined this week by a very special guest, a long-distant cousin of Robobos known as Robobob. Everybody say hi. Hi. Hi, Robobob. Wow. How's, how's everyone doing? <laughs> we are spectacular and we are so excited that you've come to join us for an episode that aired back on October 18th, 2010. Wow. Called Assisted Suicide. Now, Beast, can you explain why we're doing this episode? So this is the third part into our deep dive into the... Uh, pathology and psychosis of you know dr thaddeus t venture um what made this man you know because the thing about the show is we're watching the boys grow up in in real time in in a sense right um and really finding out rusty's backstory is only something you get to piece together in lip service from other episodes so this is you know the three episodes where you really get into just his noggin yeah, Very nice. and you do get into his noggin, um, and, and what a noggin it is. There is so much going on with the Rusty Venture, and in the previous episodes that we've looked at, um, we've seen the way Rusty's different uh, character traits, flaws, quirks play against each other and the people around them. One of the things that we find with the Venture Brothers is that it's often a show about pairings. We're getting excuses to get different characters together. And sometimes they really work together. Sometimes they don't work together at all. And we're going to see a whole lot of that play out this episode. But this episode does not begin with the pairing. This episode begins with the football game, Shirts versus Skins. And do you know who really wanted to be Skins? (laughs) Surely really wanted to be Skins. Yes, he did. And he was so mad about it, he didn't get to because Dean is a pansy. Yep. Dean. Dean. (laughs) Dean. I love just the nasal disdain with which he (laughs) says it. Dean. Can I just point out that Shoreleave is one of my favorite names of any of the characters? Like shore leave, holy diver, mile high. Like these were these were good. These were so good. And shore leave uh, well, in particular. Totally like they're from the uh, the don't ask, don't tell GI Joe line from the eighties. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my! How the military has changed. Uh, well, it certainly helps build esprit de corps when everybody shares the same chlamydia. True. True. <laughs> So we open up on this football game out at the Venture Compound. 
And the football game is really just a setup to give you an inkling of some of the tensions between hatred and Brock, the general disdain for Dean. We might call it disdain at this point, and <laughs> to reveal Brock's superpower. Someone's well, in my car. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen him do that for my whole country away. Yeah, Brock <laughs> has a legitimate superpower, and that is he knows when someone is sitting in his car. So the game abruptly stops. Brock goes running off into the distance toward the hangar. And when he gets there, what does he find, Robo Bob? Um, there is Doc Venture trying to kill himself. And Beast Lamode, how is he trying to kill himself? Well, so he's in a fugue state and uh, he's trying to uh, like kind of weirdly like, you know, kind of he's almost like an empty vessel on autopilot. And he's trying to, uh, you know, kill himself with carbon monoxide poison. But like twist after Brock had to kill Adrian, you know, <laughs> his car yeah, um, when he rebuilt her, you know, he you know, it's 100 percent crybaby suicide proof. And 100% carbon neutral green. (laughs) (laughs) It's all electric, which means Doc's suicide attempt is not going to get the assist from Adrian. Yeah, yep. Al Gore was a friend. (laughs) Well, that's the thing is he he gets creative, right? Like he immediately starts looking for how Adrian can still give him the assist. Goes for the road flare. Uh, Which Brock denies. Right. And And, then the uh, shaving cream. We Which, by the way, know. let's talk about why there's shaving cream in Brock's car. <laughs> uh, have you seen Brock with a beard anytime this season? That's true. Because not when, on the front of his head. Because when we, when we, when he lets it go, I mean, what, what, which episode was that? Uh, I think it was uh, at the end of season three, beginning of season four, where he goes into the woods with a six million dollar man and his Sasquatch, and he has that big luscious beard. Art therapy's never really been my thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's because if he doesn't shave, his face looks like the top of his head in a matter of hours. Yep. Interesting. He's just so manly. Right. Like, he, just, he has <laughs> right. to shave every six hours. It's the testosterone. What was that uh, in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? The cop starts shedding a tear and he's like, oh, get back in there. Like, that's <laughs> kind of how Brock rolls. Oh, yeah. So, uh, it. They get the doc in the house and start trying to diagnose what's going on. Everybody's being real sympathetic at first, aren't they, Beast? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, at first, everybody kind of, you know, sees this as like, you know, suicide in terms of like, you know, depression, Um, you know. But Orpheus, on the other hand, of course, like he thinks he's possessed. But then again, like, you know, to every like you know was what was the old expression uh never rub another man's rhubarb also yes (laughs) Uh, no not rule number one no Uh, not rule number one no uh everything looks like a nail to a hammer yeah Uh, so of course like you know dr orpheus sees something going on and he's like supernatural right Right. uh i'd like to point out that at one point dean's like Dad, is uh, uh, Hank, uh, is this something Hank did? Yeah. Hank's like, don't drag me under this bus. Yo. <laughs> Yo. Uh, it's like, Dad, I know it's got to be his fault somehow. Tell us how to fix it. But it turns out that uh, Dr. Venture 
is being possessed. And who is he being possessed by? The The mighty monarch. Yeah. His arch nemesis, the mighty monarch, who, as we will find out later, is doing something very dangerous and even more illegal than usual. So Now, one of my favorite things about this episode um, is it's very reference-heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just before, like, we get to the whole bit about, uh, you know, Monarch being in his head, there's this whole bit about, like, exorcism <laughs> and, like, <laughs> Right. It was so good. It was so good. Like, and, like, later on, there's a Flatliners reference, and oh. there's a Star Trek. There's a little something here for everybody. At Blade Runner? We'll get to that later right there. So um, we get everybody gathered in Dr. Venture's room, and they're getting ready for the exorcism. And everybody brought different uh, gear to help them do the exorcism. <laughs> like uh, Sergeant Hatred put a cold compress on his head because he saw it in the Wizard of Oz, and that's how you do these things. Uh, Shoreleave uh, brought a bucket, expecting the gallons of pea soup. Dean brought a camera. Expecting the gallons. Of, I'm sorry. Hank brought a, Hank brought a camera. Yeah. Expecting gallons of pea soup. And Dean brought a oh, raincoat. I heard there would be vomit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but also, Hank, Dean was very thoughtful because he brought his stuffed giraffe. Yeah. And that's something very special for Dean. Dr. Venture means so much to Dean. And you could just feel that coming off of him. Yeah. He means so much to him. It had to be Hank's fault. That's so, right. Mr. Ricci, man. Yeah, he, Mr. Ricci. He brings Mr. Ricci yeah. into this. Yeah. So uh, this sets up what is probably one of the absolute highlights of the episode for many, many, many people. And that's where we get to find out that Dr. Orpheus can travel into Doc Venture's mind using a key. Right? Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, right. I, I skipped a part, didn't I? We, he's got to oh. freeze the possession somehow. He's got to lock it oh, yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, the, the spell of binding. The spell of binding, which once he casts it, we find out what's really going on inside Doc's head, and it's the evil monarch, and that spell of binding has just put some seriously bad juju on him while he's trapped in there. Yep. Then, oh, well, go there's ahead. A, there's a small victory because the monarch actually gets to... <laughs> It's it's a bittersweet victory when he gets to throw up inside Rusty's mind. Dude, I loved that. Just those few couple lines. He's like, I'm going to throw up all over Dr. Venture's crappy memories. So happy. (laughs) So good. Even as he's like fading and lurching and just doing miserable himself. But there's that one moment of joy. Oh, you know, I, I would actually consider this like the textbook illustration of schadenfreude (laughs) right where literally this man is dying because of the thing he is doing to watch somebody else be tortured (laughs) yeah yeah and it's making him so happy (laughs) it's worth it man i wish i wish i like i wish i was that kind of happy about anything (laughs) like you know the first time like you know your 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 child sees a rainbow like, you know, uh, the first time you hear your favorite song or like, you know, as happy as the monarch is hitting Dr. Venture. That's how happy I want to be. In you are really into eventually becoming your own supervillain one day, aren't you, Listen, I'm already my own supervillain. I'm sorry. 
what, what what's my name I'm, I'm sorry, Professor Savage. I didn't mean to address you by your Christian name. Um, <laughs> no Christians here. Enough of that. No. Uh, so I'm already my own supervillain. I'm trying to be somebody else's supervillain. Uh, well, we, we, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier. You already have a target in mind, but we'll see how this plays out. <laughs> He's a really hate. Do you, have you really felt hate in your life? It's so good. I um I if I'm being completely honest, um, there's only one person in this world that I hate with a deep burning passion, and if ever given the opportunity to stomp this person's like to to go full uh, uh what was Level. that Ed Norton movie <laughs> American <laughs> History X. Uh, I was yeah. gonna say the Hulk. Like if I could go. Like, reference you're going straight hate crime I, i'm trying to yeah this is that there's only one person i would do that to and i will not go into why but it is a very i'm a peaceful man i'm a lover at heart but if there was the opportunity to just nip that person from existence i wouldn't feel bad about it. actually that's not true i wouldn't want to hurt them but i wouldn't be upset if something bad happened to them right what did Betty White ever do to you uh no not Betty White Betty White is a national <laughs> treasure and if you ever bring it oh did i t- i Speaking of Betty White, <laughs> okay, we got this game called Wavelength, and in it, you're supposed to essentially get a person to guess a spot on a graph, like on a, uh, you know, like a meter, right? right? So to the left, to the right, trying to find an exact spot on a range of things. And one of them, the range that I had to get my wife to guess was uh, someone you could beat up, someone who could beat you up. So to the left was someone who could beat you could beat up. To the right was someone you could beat up. So of course, my wife, not being a very high person, I was like, you know, but she's you know she could put up a pretty good fight. I said Betty White in the '60s, and that immediately derailed the entire game because she got oh. so mad at me. Yeah, I keep failing at this. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, Mrs. Miss Professor Savage, <laughs> Doctor Mrs. Professor Savage, <laughs> Doctor. This is professor. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, no, like even hypothetically violent. Like, mm-mm. don't you even yeah, talk about it, like, Betty White? Yeah, yeah. Just very like to her core, nonviolent. Like in every uh, quantum existence of reality, there is no violent version of of Doctor <laughs> Professor Savage. No, but I have seen more than mildly annoyed. And that is a scary thing. Uh-huh. So, oh no, no. I mean, bear in mind, she can be terrified. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's when. Let, let, let's get back to uh, to the point of our story here, which is one of the f- most enjoyable scenes in any Venture Brothers episode this entire season. Dare I say, out of the entire series, which is where they're trying to get Doctor Orpheus into Doctor Venture's head using the key of the things he loved most. And of course it starts with the boys and where does it go from there beast? (laughs) Well, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll get into this in just a second um, because we, we actually got a little deep with this, but once, once the, the, the boys don't work um, you cut to uh, some amount of time later. um, And then they're holding like a box, like, you know, and he's holding, uh, you know, just Dean, because 
you know, <laughs> let's you know. be honest about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, you know, when that didn't work, it's time to let Dean go. Um, and in this box are, you know, just the, just the most egocentric possessions in his life that represent like his, you know, uh, what I called like the uncle Rico factor, you know, from Napoleon dynamite. Like I can throw this football over a mountain. Like he's always reliving the glory days. Right. You know, so he's got an old headshot. He's got a couple of old awards. A side uh, picture of Lonnie Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause he's virile. Um, you know, some money, uh, newspaper clippings, love letters, uh, old love letters, which curious about. And of course, uh, a best of rush cassette. Which turns out to be something they have to get rid of because it's a best of and not one of the albums. Right. And I'm now, sure okay. that's what kept, uh, that's what actually kept Orpheus out. It was <laughs> right. that cassette. No, not well, Dean. Well, here's the thing, though. If it had, if Dean had been a part of it, Dean would have helped Orpheus get in. Like, they, <laughs> Orpheus wouldn't have been able to get in without Dean. Right, right. And that's not the case. Although, the reasoning why is revealed in a little bit more depth and trauma a little bit later on in the episode, because it's shocking at first. And then coming up very shortly, you begin to understand why Dr. Venture might be so troubled. All right. So quick question, fellas. Mm -hmm. What's in your box? Uh, I see you. I, I see all you guys in video and then I see me, but I'm in dark. I'm like in a dark place, but you know, Oh no no I'm not I'm not talking about the video but like <laughs> the, no I, I I that actually is my box I'm sorry uh, Beast and uh, Brock Savage that that is my box oh, oh wow wow what would you put in your box well you and you but I'm in a dark I'm place oh that's so sweet well it's so sweet to my box gentlemen so I I just like Peter to point out. Desire, so, like heart desire for all of our listeners who can't understand so we're actually we can see each other on video even though our listeners can only hear us and he was describing the state <laughs> of the video and the little box each of our faces are in uh, <laughs> rather than describing the box that is the key to his soul's truth why can't it be both it, it, you know, <laughs> it, it could be it could be rubble bob it could be so beast I'm going to let you go first, man. What you got? Uh, actually, something I just re like recently purchased off of eBay. Uh, <laughs> mass market paperback of the very first comic I ever bought, uh, which was a, a, like a black and white reprint of some old like 70s Chris Claremont X-Men comics. Um, I bought that at, like a book fair at the age of six. Uh, Wyclef Jean's The Carnival. Uh, because that was like uh, one of the first rap albums I ever memorized. And I still know most of to this day. Mm. Um, the umbilical cord snippings from my clones. Because that's a little weird. Um, but you got to keep the DNA around to, uh, you Clone know, perpetuate. Yeah. yeah. Um, my French press. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, <laughs> probably like. My signed comic books, like I'll, I'll, I'll take those with me. Those are my Pharaoh's things. Like you bury, bury me with those because those have no value to anybody else. Those have my name on them, literally. Because <laughs> you signed they're, them. They're signed by you. 
<laughs> They're signed to me. No, 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 no. The, the, I've, I've got a, I've got a collection of signed comic books. Oh, who are they signed by? Me. <laughs> right. I signed all my comic books. It's, I, I do the same thing with my underwear. <laughs> it's, it's got my phone number, so if I lose it, just call me and tell right, me you right. got it. Oh, I'm like Rusty Venture leaving. Uh, you know, hit the 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 manuscript of his musical around yeah like. right so how about you robo bob other what you found yourself out of that dark place what do you put in your box uh pretty much uh let's see every picture i ever drew just uh just to throw out later i suppose but i love it for now um and uh some dinosaur uh toys and uh all my star wars toys and uh, pretty much, uh, it's all bugs after that. Interesting. While you guys were talking, I was sitting here trying to run through the stuff that was most important to me. Right. And the stuff that I would actually want to, like, take with me. I mean, for me, my wife and kids are everything. But I wouldn't want to take them with me when I go. Like, right. when I go, go be free. Like, if it, I, I hope I die before all of them, just not too soon. Uh, like in terms of possessions, I was actually talking about this yesterday. Some of the things that are most important to me in the world are absolutely useless to everybody else. I have a book called The Reluctant Heroes written by a major a general, three-star general in the U.S. Army uh, back in like the, the 60s or 70s. But the reason that is that book is so special to me is it's about the Carthaginians versus the Romans, right? About the Punic Wars. And I got that book when I was seven which explains a lot about me. And the thing that makes that book so, so special to me is that is the only book that I have that I picked up from the post library from when I was a kid, because that post is no longer there. Like I grew up in the army, right? So, you know, going down to the post library, you know, I still have this library book because right after I didn't return it, the base got decommissioned and there was no library anymore. So that's really special to me. I have a first printing of Paul Prescott's charge by Horatio Alger. Like that's really like Horatio Alger. Um, I have the copy of fear and loathing in Las Vegas that uh, uh, uncle Kyle, who is my best friend. It's not actually my uncle. He's my kid's uncle uh, gave to my kid, uh, gave to me when we were in the fifth grade that transformed my life. Um, And then like, you know, the really sentimental stuff, the mixes that I made for my wife when I was trying to woo her are some of the best mixes on earth. Like, God, I'm really good at this. And it was really <laughs> like, uh, if I could take things with me that really like summarized my life, uh, I- I'd have to say the mixes I made because those are, you know, like that, that statement of self as you're trying to represent yourself to someone else that you hope to marry one day. Well, apparently it worked. Oh, dude, it has worked magic. Uh, the things I would really like to take with me, uh, let, put the emphasis on the word box, are not available for me to take with me. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, I, I really think it's, um, you know, super interesting that, like, uh, I don't know, everything Doc Venture puts in the box, you know, obviously revolves around him. You know, there's a, there's a, you know, I think his first eat suit is obviously in the box as well. Um, and some other stuff, right? But, like, 
this is a guy who literally thrives off of inherited like wealth, right? Like, right. You know, what is handed down literally is like, you know, just what sustains him. And even like, I was watching some of the later episodes uh, when the Jonas venture senior cash cow, you know, goes dry. He even starts milking the, the Jonas venture junior one after his brother dies. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually make a reference to like teleporters and stuff. So I think it's interesting that like they, he understands that like everything, you know, uh, is kind of temporary that way. Like everything important to him is useless to everyone else. Kind of the same way it is to you. Right. Yeah. Because everything is going to be, you know, either handed down or given away or, you know, divvied up after he's dead. Like, you know, he kind of has a, has a weird, you know, understanding of the impermanence. I mean, and I do the same thing. Like, I can't tell you how many things I buy because I know one day I'm giving it to somebody else and I need to keep it nice until then. Yeah. Well, because I want them to know a little bit about me. When I was in, uh, when I was in college, I once attended a lecture by a guy who wrote a book called gifts, the erotic life of property. And this dude gave <laughs> one of the most interesting like discussions of what a gift actually is and what it means and what you are doing is at the heart of good gift giving. You know, I've always said for years that Uncle Kyle is the best gift giver on earth because this dude gives gifts that strike at the core of your soul. And you're doing the same thing when you buy stuff like that because you're like, I'm going to get this, but I'm holding on to it for you because we both know how excited you're going to be when you finally get it. Oh. That's pretty solid. That's, yeah, that's sweet. That's awesome. Well, that is this the us... same chap that got you the uh, Chuck Palahniuk moose head? Yes. He is an exquisite gift giver. Oh, dude. really? Like, if, if they're like Van Gogh has his paint, Tarantino has his like, you know, uh, lighting and, and, you know, film cell, like Kyle has gift giving. <laughs> it's, it is. I have never seen it raised to the level of art the way it is with Uncle Kyle. And now let me just put it this way. So Kyle and I have been best friends since the sixth grade. I'm sorry. Yeah, sixth grade. I'm sorry, not fifth grade, sixth grade. And every year that man has given me the most amazing gifts. And every year my gifts, while better than they would have been without his influence, are still nowhere up to snuff. So it's like it's constant like I feel like I'm constantly being patted on the head for my gifts. <laughs> I'm trying, bro. Aww. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's not what it is. It's why it is. And that, that's what makes all the that, that's what makes all the difference. Cool. So speaking of making all the difference, we finally get Dr. Orpheus into Rusty's head where he is greeted by a spectral figure. <gasps> it's a demon. He's got to attack it. And he does. It just doesn't do anything. No, no. Who is it really? Oh, it's Thanatos. And his in the guise of Mister Pete White. Yeah. And of course, we've got Billy the Quiz Boy showing up as uh, ostent- ost- <laughs> ostensibly Cupid, but he's not Cupid. Is he beast? Oh no, no. Uh, he he's really like kind of where the the archetype of Cupid comes from, uh, Eros. Uh, a pistol hot career. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) so we have Eros and Thanatos 
Those are two Greek words, eros, meaning one of their words for love, and thanatos, meaning death. If you ever wondered where the name Thanos came from, that's it right there. The Greek word thanatos, which means death. And why are love and death our introduction to what we're about to see? Uh, Mostly, like, uh, because it's all, at this point, like, just some overhanded, uh, you know, mix of both primarily Freudian psychology and, like, metaphor uh, with a little bit of, like, you know, Jungian archetypes thrown in. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the, the Freudian symbols and like, you know, all of the, the metaphors thrown at you from, from here on out, like it, it, it's like going through, you know, uh, psychology 101 with like, you know, Rusty Venture as your like, you know, uh, personal psychopomp, (laughs) if you will. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, your, your only case study for the class. Well, I'm sorry. Orpheus is our psychopomp and you know, he's, he's, he is, uh, he is Dante, and I guess we've got uh, Eros and Thanatos as Virgil leading us through the hell that is Rusty's mind. And we're going to get exposed to some crazy, crazy stuff. And it does not take long for the crazy to start kicking in. So where are we at now? Well, okay, so they lay out the situation. Like once... Uh you know, Orpheus gets over his obvious prejudices. Um, you know, that's when they start kind of like giving, you know, the, the whole rundown, like, you know, there's another intruder, uh, you know, the Rusty's shutting down soon. And, you know, Orpheus opens up about that. He's like, that's, that's my bad guys, mea culpa. Like I, I may have had something to do with that. Um, and then uh, that's when uh, they start kind of, uh, <laughs> that's when you see the first of one of uh you know, Thanatos's like Mr. Doomsday rants. Oh, it's like a Creed video. <laughs> yeah. Th- those are beautiful. <laughs> Dude, and like, just I love the way that he's dressed like some sort of, uh, you know, dandy mortician from the 1800s. Yeah, like Oscar Wilde meets, uh, uh, oh God, who was the guy who did the, uh, the Ghastly Crumb Children? Oh, oh, heck, we've got a couple of his prints. Um, give, Come on, Robo Bob. No, oh, oh, let me go look. Hang on. I'm going to go look. <laughs> Come with me, children. <laughs> yeah, like it was kind of like if you crossed Oscar Wilde with that guy, that's kind of what you get. Oh, and, uh, and Depeche Mode. Oh, <laughs> come on. I'm looking at pictures now, but I don't actually have. Edward Gorey. Gorey, that's it. Thank you. Gorey. Yeah. yeah. So, like, Oscar Wilde plus Edgar Gorey plus Depeche Mode. Yep. And you've got what, uh, what Pete White as Thanatos looks like. Yep. And, you know, one of the things that he, we get a, a glimpse into is essentially Leviathan. He is warning about Leviathan. The beast, pardon the, uh, you know, the, yep. the, pardon the parlance. Present company excluded, of course. <laughs> not, not that beast. Right. Yeah. The beast that lurks within men's souls. Wouldn't that be crazy, beast, if you were the beast that lurks within men's souls? Because you lurk within mine. You're the part of me that's like, huh, what if I push this button? <laughs> you mean the big red one that says, don't push? Yeah, that one. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the, uh, 
you know, the deep seated kind of morbid curiosities that like, you know, they're so mundane, you don't think they would ever hurt anybody, but there's a reason you don't go through with it. Like pushing the buttons on Darth Vader's chest plate. Like, yeah, <laughs> I will destroy you. Beep, 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 beep. Because <laughs> you know that. Like, you could get away with it, yeah. but if you didn't, like, you're getting force choked. <laughs> I, I think one of those buttons is just a bell that rings like in the <laughs> elevator. To ring for service. That's right. <laughs> Stop that. One of them is an <laughs> Yeah. So one of the other things that we get is one of the best, like, one-liners in the entire thing. Where, it, like, it's like, oh, sorry, you scared me. It's like, you're one to talk, Count Freud. And this hits on several levels. Like, you've got Count Dracula, check. Because Orpheus totally is. Mm -hmm. You've got Sigmund Freud, because we're about to do a deep dive into his uh, psychology philosophies. And, of course, you've got Count Floyd, the SCTV character who also did a brief stint on Ed Grimley, if you guys remember that. Oh. Uh, Robobob, you might. Beast Lamode, I know you are a little bit younger, so I don't know if that was part of your uh, your childhood television. Was, was that Joe Flaherty? I know who yeah, yeah, it was Joe Flaherty. Yep. Dude, totally. Him and the Pittsburgh Midget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and with that, we bounce back to the monarch's room. And what's happening as the monarch is lying there, passed out, trying to kill Dr. Venture with his mind control? Well, it's not too bad. I mean, it's not like he died or anything. Oh, oh, wait. <laughs> oh wait. Yes, he did. <laughs> He's going to bring back a pissed off Billy Mahoney with him, right? Yeah. Well, and for so just to let, let let's give our listeners a little bit of setup. So the monarch is passed out with the mind extractor. What, what what do you call it? Not mind flayer. It, it, it the mind infractor. Mind infractor. Yes. Not the monarch's murderous mind mutilator. Yeah. Yeah. Mind infractor. So he's plugged into the mind infractor, trying to take out Rusty Venture. You've got Doctor Misses the Monarch there. And you've got Henchman 21. And Henchman 21 and Dr. Mrs. the Monarch are trying to keep an eye on him while this thing goes on. And then when Dr. Mrs. Monarch notices his, uh, he's got him connected to some electrodes and stuff, yeah, he's crashing, right? He's dying. Yeah. She pulls out some electrodes to restart his heart and yells clear, and they manage to bring him back to life. Yep. And that begins this deep dive into Gary's soul as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love the mini joke they kind of sneak in about what does clear even mean in these situations? Yeah. <laughs> you're shouting clear. What, what does that mean? Like, and you're yelling at me. I'm not yelling at you. I'm telling at you. <laughs> was... Honestly, this was the most throwaway part of the episode for me. Yeah. Well, I, like, and yeah, it's just like, I'm I'm the kind of guy uh, I don't believe in, you know, highbrow humor, lowbrow humor, smart humor, dumb humor. If it's funny, it's funny, and really, like that's kind of why I enjoyed it. Is you have this really dumb joke in the middle of this really smart episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's very much like a a personal dynamic there. Like that's what you'd hear somebody say in their house to like their kids or something. You know, I'm not yelling at you. I'm telling it you. Yeah, yeah it was a very mom thing. Yeah, very much. And like you were saying earlier, he, he that we really start exploring Gary 
uh, in this because he's he's in kind of well he's you know he's right there with Doctor Mrs. the Monarch, who he absolutely adores, and then he is right there beside the Monarch, who you know he's totally loyal to, but um, you know he's he's torn in and uh, you know and that and then the next thing that happens with them is uh, it kind of pushes it a little further I think. Yeah. And well, one of the things that we see is Gary being very reflective about his time with the monarch. He's like, I used to have friends once. I used to have dreams. Yep. I gave them all away to the monarch. And then he goes into, I've seen my best friend die. I've seen a giant penny roll over a kid dressed like a rainbow. <laughs> I've seen a t- attack ships off the shoulder of Orion. Oh, well, no, this is too early. This is too early. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped, I, I skipped a part because we forgot that at this moment, oh. Kevin and Tim Tum come knocking on the door. Security check. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and of course, uh, like, you know, they're, they're doing something illegal, um, you know, uh, according to Guild Protocol. Illegal, illegal, illegal for the monarch. It, like, think about this for a second. Like, they kill people and it's okay. But this thing that he's doing, psychic assassination, is not okay. So they've got to play it off. And what is it that Dr. Mrs. the Monarch yells at Gary? Um, take your clothes take off. Take your clothes <laughs> off. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, which of course, words that Gary has long waited for Mrs. Monarch to say. Uh, but not in this context. No. And oh, dude, you totally know he went from six to midnight in that jerk. <laughs> right. <laughs> like he's panicked. You know, he doesn't know what's going on. Like, you know, it's confusion. Yeah. He hit second of, puberty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, here. <laughs> so uh, when Kevin and Dr. When Kevin and Tim Tom and their whole secret mind powers exchange was freaking oh, hilarious. It was great because they're secret. <laughs> yes, even for me. <laughs> you don't have secret mind powers. Oh, dude, and I love the way he, like, hasn't given up on it, but kind of has. Like, he's like, oh, now we'll never know. But he knows he's waiting for the next door. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, um, and I realize we're skipping around a little bit here, but for the sake of narrative consistency, let's roll with it. They get in, and what do they see? When Dr. and Mrs. the Monarch had asked 21 to take off his clothes, she had also taken off her clothes and they had changed outfits. And can you describe what Kevin and Tim Tom see when they come in? Well, the first thing you, the first thing that I think they'd see is, is uh, Dr. Mrs. The Monarch. And she is a wonderful cheerleader, uh, just the sexiest damn cheerleader anyone's ever laid eyes on. And uh, she is straddling the Monarch. <clears throat> And then about that time, Gary speaks up, but he has trouble speaking. Um, He has has a ball gag in his mouth. And a gimp harness. Like what can accurately be described as a gimp harness. And And chaps. chaps. And uh, you don't even need to say assless chaps because all chaps are assless. He's wearing chaps. It is a full-on sex dungeon escapade outfit yeah okay and quick side note about chaps so i'm playing red dead redemption 2 they will not let you wear chaps without pants (laughs) (laughs) it's one of the legendary features (laughs) right (laughs) legendary ass 
That's absolutely terrible. So why was this a good ploy? Well, because it made everything so awkward. Uh, and one of the best lines that like they've ever delivered, like, uh, I guess, the, like, so uh, this is inspected. <laughs> <laughs> Everything um, looks safe here. Yeah, quick side note. Yeah. Kevin and Tentom are all about Dr. And Mrs. the Monarch. Yeah. So why is it that when she's in sexy time mode, they aren't interested? It is so out of character for these two. Either that or one of their early lines about seeing her panties was out of character. Like, maybe they just changed their minds. Well, was this ever addressed? It, I wonder, was it the, the fact that the monarch was actually there under her? And so it's in this very <laughs> intimate, private moment. You know, as far as they're concerned, the monarch is completely conscious and in the moment himself. So, Well, and, you know, it might not have been so much of, uh, you know, Dr. Misses the Monarch as it might have been you know, seeing Gary in a gimp harness, like ready to go. <laughs> that would you stop know. me in my tracks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's ready to go like full Pulp Fiction and get in the box, right? right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, well, they are not Brad Pitting that, so they're going to back out of the room. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's from there, right, where they uh, cut back to uh, Orpheus and, uh, you know, uh, the the Freudian gang, um, like in the uh, the hallways, and that's when you first uh, like see the the roving herd of dead clones in in Rusty's mind. Hey, Beast, can I just make a quick point to the wonderful literary transition they did there? Because Gary's last words to Kevin and Tim Tom were "close the door," and then the next scene, all the doors are open. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hadn't put that together. Well done, Robobob. I, I thought that was really, really, really crafty there. So we did bounce uh, around but... a little bit. So we missed why all the doors are actually opened. Um, and that is the monarch at it again, because they successfully revived. Them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that big Frankenstein switch. Yeah. <laughs> so the monarch threw the switch, which opened up all the doors of, of, of uh, the doors of perception. There must be quadrillions of them, or millions. Or millions. <laughs> and then he and then he corrects it by saying, "No, a quadrillion is a, th is a thousand billions. No, it's not. That's a trillion." <laughs> yeah, I guess death doesn't know math. I don't know. No. Yeah. Yeah. So we get the whole Leviathan thing, and then we find out what Leviathan is, which is one of the best sight gags in the entire episode. And Beast, as I understand, you've done a little, you know, a little bit of research into what we're about to see. Well, so originally, Leviathan was actually going to be a giant baby. Um, but, you know, they kind of played with it in storyboard mode and realized that that just, I mean, I guess while it has its, you know, uh, weight you know, I guess on a on a Jungian level, right? Like, it didn't really... Wow, Beast, I just want to point out how literary what you just said was. A giant baby has weight on a Jungian level. <laughs> I was going for a pun there. Like... <laughs> well, we'll keep going, Rapunzel. Say it again. Um, so, moving on. Um, yeah, so they uh, opted instead to have the Leviathan essentially just be the walking dead of Rusty's guilt. Uh, 
And I think that that played out a lot better. Yeah. Um, especially uh, later on. And I'll, I'll kind of cover that, um, you know, as, as the episode concludes. Because uh, when I was rewatching it again, um, you know, just before recording, like, I, I noticed a, a brilliant kind of, po- like, you know, poetry to the ending of the episode. But um, having these, you know, just, uh, you know, hordes of zombie kids zombie kid and it's just like i mean i'll call it what it is dude it's a it's a it's a horde of guilt yeah yep. <laughs> it's Although, a horde of pain and guilt let's do a quick run through on the zombie kids we had headless dean we had what appeared to be cancer football dean we had just dean's upper body or the half dean we had smushed face hank crash test hank Batman Hank, and uh, we all know why Batman Hank is there, right? Uh, Batman Hank's my favorite. He flew off I the actually, roof of the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I actually, uh, I, I'm in a Venture Brothers group on Facebook, um, and I saw a great meme, and it was the Frank Miller's Dark Knight, uh, you know, lightning bolt cover with the Batman in silhouette, but it was. Uh, you know, Hank the Bat. Oh, like, that's good. Umbrella, <laughs> like umbrella. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, the, the matching like pair, like there's a headless Hank. Um, it looks like there's both like uh, a shark bite Hank um, and Dean. Uh, there's also, you know, the carbon monoxide poison. Aquaman Hank, yeah. And well, and this is actually kind of a, a neat little inside joke here. Um, from what I was reading Carbon in the monoxide. Oh, no. <laughs> silent killer. Right. So in the, the go team venture book, um, you'll notice Hank and Dean are always like in uh, Aquaman and Spider-Man respectively. Um, and this is actually like an inside joke to Ben Edlund because apparently that's how Doc Hammer describes Ben Edlund or no, no, I'm sorry. Uh, that's how, Ben Jackson Ed. Public describes Doc Hammer and Ben Edlund. Uh-huh. Doc Hammer is the Spider-Man to Ben Edlund's Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know, as a, as a comic book reader, that tickles me. That really does. <laughs> like, I get that. Um, We've also got Arrow Through the Head, Hank, which, you know, lends itself to a very William Tell thing. But can you see Dean shooting an arrow at Hank's head? That had to be someone else. Well, there, there was a time where they were shooting apples off of each other's heads in an earlier episode when they were Brock and Doc were recounting how many times the boys had died. <laughs> they were actually both pulling a William Tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, there's a there's a matching like arrow in the head, Hank. Like oh. they, all the uh, all the 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 Hanks and Deans laid out um, um, in the book. Uh, and I have to tell you. Um, <laughs> The Go Team Venture book is phenomenal for going back and just getting the little detail references of things. Um, like, they actually have uh, the very last Hank and Dean on the episode is the Hank and Dean that died in uh, the end of season one. So he's wearing, like, the Easy Rider helmet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crash test. Crash test yes. Hank. Yep. And Burn Dean, Drowned Hank. And, of course, all these dead kids running through the halls of Dr. V's mind. Oh, That's when we bounce to Brock and Hatred. And what's going on with Brock and Hatred? They're trying to work it out, but not really. Um, 
you know, like Hatred's trying to to be amenable and uh, Brock's totally being like too cool for school about it. Like the biggest jerk move on the planet. Like one Skittle. Yep. Bro. Yeah. Hatred's <laughs> like, what you got there? Brock's like, Skittles. He's like, can I have some? So he gives him one. Yep. One Skittle. A Skittle? And of course, it is the bottle of the substitute fathers. A bottle, battle of the bodyguards. Yep. And this is actually one of my other favorite parts of the episode. When you hear a crash out in the hallway <laughs> and Brock yells, don't play football, no indoor football. And it's Shore Leave who responds, sorry, Brock. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Let's talk just a quick moment about like the going back to the shirts versus skin things. The shirts <laughs> were a great like callback to the buddy system, mm-hmm. like the date. <laughs> So, <laughs> like, I thought that that was really great. And, you know, that's one thing you kind of have to kind of keep an eye out because I think that this was the season that they invented, like, the, the T-shirt club uh-huh. where they do, like, a T-shirt for every episode. So you could actually, you know, at one point, you know, kind of get that T-shirt. Um, but, like, uh, yeah, no, I just I love short leave, like, the, you know, like still playing football, like still upset about being skins. Like he's got his like midriff showing, like the knot tied up. Like you know he's still going to be good looking and foxy. Yeah. And like you know again the the reference to the buddy system episode is just priceless. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm rambling. <laughs> and then we see hatred reveal just how much he wants to be good at this and how bad he actually is, because he mentions that he you know he sees. Brock kind of being the father figure that he wants to be. <laughs> and he's like, Dean, I'm going to do a load of whites. Don't forget to throw your panties in the hamper. And Brock's like, panties? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I mean, given what we know about hatred's past, like, that yeah. is a curious choice of words. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of... That's the, I would think the man would have heard of Skivvies by now, considering how many he's ripped off. But yeah, maybe Princess Tiny Feet wasn't really into undergarments. No, <laughs> she was definitely more into other people than hatred, Aww. who were just or at least deeply... other people were into her. Yeah, that, yeah, you beat me to it. Well done, sir. So we bounce from there to 21 and Dr. Mrs. the Monarch, and that's when we start getting all these like references fast and furious. I had dreams once, you know, I had money saved, I was gonna buy a monster truck and a leather jacket from uh. Uh, Roadhouse. Patrick Swayze's leather jacket from Roadhouse. Yeah. And, and a quick little little side note here. Um, just, a, just a small fantasy. With all of these middle-aged guys coming back to have kick-ass action careers, I feel like cancer robbed us of Patrick Swayze at this moment in life. He like, would totally it, have been in The Expendables. Dude, oh, like yeah. Patrick Swayze and like Liam Neeson's and like uh, Keanu Reeves. All need to like they could have done a movie together. Oh yeah, like you know, taking John Wick's dirty dancing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Luke Besson just had a a, a wet dream. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I love like I'll be honest with you, I love Gary's dreams. Like I really do. <laughs> I I don't understand. Like I'm not into monster cars. Uh, like I, I did appreciate Roadhouse. Like don't get me wrong about that. But like, uh, no, I mean, I love that, you know, 
Gary's dreams are just so sincere. They're not huge. They're modest dreams. And they're really just about attaining his childhood fantasies. Yeah. He wanted to be Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse. Like, that's why he's growing a ponytail and you know it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, he's feeling really down about things. And he's talking about all these things that he's seen. The, 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 the Donkey Kong kill screen. Attack ships off the shoulder of Orion. And then... Sheila starts to cheer him up. Bless Literally cheer him up. Well, and you know what? Bless her for it. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and it, he got to see something he had never seen before. That's true. Well, and, you know, she really kind of puts this into perspective. She's like, you know, you, we, we all have numbers in this game. And she tells him he's more than a number. Yep. You know, he's more than just 21. And she, she you know, she's... She's number two, but she's also more than number two. It's like, and then she, you know, she kind of lays it bare. She's like, we're kind of supposed to forget that we make people die. And it's little lines like that, that reveal just how sinister a lot of this stuff really is. And how, even though we're kind of, you know, we're treating it like a joke, living something like this, it's got to be extraordinarily damaging on the psyche. Oh yeah. It takes a toll. Well, I mean, you have to think, uh, we get so used to an idea of society, right? Like, you know, and that's something we're being confronted with right now with COVID-19, you know, um, we don't deal with those kinds of like casualties, you know, but like when you put it in the, the Venture Brothers super science world, this is a whole nother like interwoven social strata where like accidentally dying and coming back for like the dead are both very not uncommon things right you know they don't happen every day like i'll grant you that but like when they do happen it's like oh okay yeah no big deal sure like that was about to happen like everybody knew that all right (laughs) so she cheers him up and we bounce over to orpheus eros and thanatos having to try and figure out how to get to master control and so they go see the id and this is what, uh, like, it, try to describe what you see when you enter the id's lair. Well, it's like one of those uh, those sex line call ads you used to see after, like, you know, after midnight. Yeah, know. USA up all up, up all night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the lady on the rotating bed. Yeah, <laughs> yep. and of course the, the you know the this is one of those things. I had to stop and look at this a whole bunch. So id is young Rusty dressed as like little Caligula, yep. right? Yeah. <laughs> and he is just a ball of desire, which of course is the id. And there's a rotating bed behind him and it's Rusty's invisible harem. And on this invisible harem, we have a cavalcade of women, all of whom we've been introduced to, although some are going to be less familiar than others. Uh, we've got Dr. Quim from Dr. Quim Medicine Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Dr. And Mrs. The Monarch from that one date opportunity. We've got Sally Impossible. Uh, we've got Molotov Cocktease. We've got Lindsay Wagner, which gets called out. Lindsay Wagner? And he's like, yes, Rusty met her at a party. <laughs> Witty banter was shared. He could have sealed the deal, but he was tired. <laughs> Only this, nothing else. And Myra Brandish. And then there's the mystery woman in the pink hair. And Beast, do you know where that was from? No. I don't, actually. Uh, I remember we had talked about it at one point. 
and it blew my mind then, so it's probably going to blow my mind now. In The Diving Bell and the Butter Glider, there is a woman on the cover of the Cupcakes Girly magazine, and that's, <laughs> that's her. Oh, wow. Like, that is as deep as something. Like, that is some navel-gazing, self-referential callbacks. Wow. Because at first, I thought she was totally a reference to the uh, lady from the uh, Blink-182 cover who was also <laughs> a porn star. And ridiculously hot. Yeah, yeah. If she ever hears this podcast, you can reach Beast Labode in a variety of different methods. <laughs> uh, but do keep the gloves. Um, right? You're, you're going to need them. But what, what was it that Napoleon said to Josephine? Do not bathe. <laughs> uh... So... Uh, that's when the id starts making demands of them if they want to reach the next level. And he starts telling Dr. Orpheus that the flying baby and the, what, what was it he calls uh, Thanatos? Uh, was it the, the something specter? Yeah, the flying baby and the, uh, the dark pale specter, specter. Pale specter yeah. have to make love. And he's like, no, no, no. This is Eros and Thanatos, love and death. Like, they can't meet. He's like, well, fine. But they have to make out then. And they must get to second base. Base. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, like, the the best part about this is where you actually get to see, uh, you know, I mean, I understand it's not actually Billy and White. But you get to see that little bit of, like, actual Billy and White, like, in the construct. Like, you know, all right, let's let's do this so we can move on. And White's like, oh, God, I bet you would. Like, White's really insecure about his you know, his masculinity. Billy's just trying to get out of this, like, weird hellhole of a place. Like, <laughs> yo. Well, then we bounce back to Dr. Mrs. The Monarch and Gary. And that's when we get the Corbinite maneuver reference. And I know that this was a crucial moment in all of television for you beast yeah this is uh when like star trek got introduced to me like okay so i'd heard about star trek before and i grew up with next generation in the background but like i'm i'm watching venture brothers and i really enjoy venture brothers and then they make the corbinite maneuver joke Mm -hmm. and i didn't know why that was funny and i wanted to find out (laughs) <laughs> and that's like uh and all while all this is happening simultaneously like the jj abrams movies had been going on in the background and i think we got to right around like the third one like beyond so i just watched that like i'd come around to you know this and then you know kind of all the 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 planets and the federation aligned for me um <laughs> so to speak and yeah though like it really and it's a classic episode. It's a phenomenal episode. And they're really like the, the, the joke that they make about like, you know, Ron Howard's Ron brother, brother being like very creepy looking. They are so on point. Um, and cause you know, it's this little baby, but then they have him voiced over by this huge booming adult voice that doesn't match at all. And he's already a interesting looking kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I, I heard, um, actually, he was, uh, I, I saw an interview with him about that, and apparently the stuff they had him drink 
was terrible. And he just absolutely hated it and didn't want to drink it. And it's because uh, it was roofies. And, and they told him, <laughs> yeah, welcome to Hollywood, kid. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, he, he just, they told him basically, is like, well, if you never want to work again, don't drink it. But otherwise, you drink it like you like it. And, and that was his, you know, real, I guess that was real acting. Why don't you just give him water? Yeah, well, and like that, it, it was a weird color. If I remember, it was like blue or put green. Food coloring, right? Gee, uh, they've got stuff at Dairy Queen that is blue and green and doesn't taste like ass, right? <laughs> yeah, but like at that point, it was the sixties. It was a dark time. No, we had, well, we had say, flavors like, like Green Death, did, did Nyquil. <laughs> well, and at that point, you're not legally torturing a kid. Like, right. I mean, <laughs> it's acting. That's right. right. Like, <laughs> take that, but, Clint hey, Howard, and these eyebrows. And now, as a side note, did you guys ever see the noodle soup production of the uh, breakfast soup cereal? That's on. It's on YouTube. But it, but I I don't know if it was before uh, Venture Brothers, but somewhere on, they actually have a little kid that talks like Billy Quizboy. And he's doing an ad where he's talking about this breakfast soup. Which yeah, that's good soup. At, yeah, at the end, that whole, that's good soup. Well, there, there's actually this great commercial, and it's take after take, and he hates the soup. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's so worth it. It's beautiful. One of the other things I want to point out here is, do you remember a few years ago when Comedy Central was doing the roasts of different celebrities? Like they, they did a roast of Justin Bieber when Justin Bieber was trying to rehabilitate his career for all of his poor life, poor life choices. Yeah. Uh, they also did one for William Shatner. Yeah. And they actually brought Clint Howard back. Yes. And was like, ah, yes, Bill, uh, I've learned a lot. And since then, I'd like to thank you for all the years we spent together. And of course, I'd like to encourage you to recognize your own drinking problem. <laughs> it was, uh, it, it, yeah. I, I do like the roasts. Yeah. Well, and he came back in the same costume, didn't he? Wasn't? Yes, he did. Was... Yeah, they they, it, they reshot the whole thing. It's like there's who me and you, as I admit, I have a drinking problem. <laughs> <laughs> Why have I not seen this? Oh, it's so good. Dude, the roast of William Shatner is it, it's. You know, and actually, so uh, I've got a buddy, Jed, great guy, one of the most like creative and dynamic people. And uh, one of the things that uh, Jed was talking to me about one day was how he really admired William Shatner because Jed's Jed's accomplished a fair amount, but he still doesn't feel like he's done enough. And he really looked up to William Shatner as an idol because William Shatner didn't start his acting career in Star Trek until he was in his 40s. Wow. Like, think about that. Like he'd done all these other little things like, like that Twilight Zone episode. Right. There's some thing on the wing right yeah right but like the thing that really put him on the map didn't have to like his career as we really know it didn't start until he was in his 40s and so like that's one of the really fascinating things about shatner he can serve as an inspiration for people uh who might not have their life together yet yep <laughs> uh, also i mean fun fact uh neither did patrick stewart I mean, yeah, sure, he had done a lot of, like, <laughs> stage acting. Shakespearean acting. Ah, bah, no, no, yeah, I mean, he had done a lot of stage acting and stuff. Um, and, you know, a little bit of, like, you know, film work in England. But he was actually teaching acting at UCLA. And somebody heard him giving a lecture. And they're like, that is the most captain voice I've ever heard in my life. And they were right. Awesome. Yeah, and I mean, and, uh, he was no spring chicken when that happened. No. 
So, have you ever checked out any of Patrick's uh, Stewart's um, like v- like uh, social media videos? I saw. The- I know he has like the best bromance with Ian McKellen. That dude. I am, dude. Like, if we didn't live that far away and I wasn't so poor all the time, that could be us. <laughs> there was it. It was one of the things when you said it, it made it make sense. So I watched him. So as you may or may not know, he got married to a woman who was like fifty years his junior. Mm-hmm. Like this dude is such a pimp. Nothing can keep him down. Like he's in his eighties and still smashing it like he was twenty four. Yeah. So this dude is sitting there and he and his wife have obviously gone for a jog or a run or something. And they're just hanging out. And she whips out the phone and starts taking some video. And they, they were talking about double takes. And so he gives an example of a double take, a triple take, a quadruple take, a quintuple take. Like, and he's like, well, and this last one is done in a very different style. Oh, like, and you're like, oh, geez, how are you so good at this? It, you're exhausted. I can see it in you. You have afterglow. How are you still so good at this? That was that's a beautiful video. It, it's dude, it's so sweet. It really is. There are very few people that I would invite over to dinner at a drop of the hat, but like Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, yep. Salman Rushdie, yep. like hell, hell yes, I'll take it. Uh, and of course Jackson Public and Doc Hammer. Oh yeah, like I'll take them. Although something tells me they wouldn't accept. Uh, I, I I'd never believe that. I would. You know what? I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to extend a formal invitation. For them to have dinner with us and whenever they get the opportunity, we would love to sit down with them and we can talk about anything, even if it's not the Venture Brothers. Because oh. I got to tell you, the best conversations are often not where you think you're going to go. Yep. Really? Uh, like, I'd also like to extend the, the same offer to Ken Plume. Um, he's very What's much... What's he the biographer? Yeah, he's the guy who wrote the, uh, the Go Team Venture book. Um, and he actually lives not terribly far from me in the the the, the metro area. Uh-huh. Um, and Can we, we do are... a six foot dinner? Maybe. But he's also uh, twenty one is my favorite character, bar none on the show. Period. Like I love his whole arc. Um, I still like you know I want to get like i want to use this podcast as a vehicle to pay for my hinge for life tattoo uh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, yeah seriously and ken plume is who 21 is based on like no way the uh. uber geek you know um and and so i really i i i love the idea that ken plume is you know kind of intrinsic to the dna of the show the same way that uh ben edland is yeah well, right. I think that this sets up some good goals for the near term, which is we have got to get Kim Plume hammered. Yes. Like Doc. <laughs> We're going to get him Doc hammered. Doc hammered. <laughs> um, so we get then, once they, uh, once they go through there, uh, we get the introduction to Rusty's ego, which is really reality, right? The id is all about desire, base instincts. The ego is all about reality. Being, or at least self perception, right? Yeah, like, and self preservation, yeah. right? Like it's it's balance, yep. right? It's trying to see things as they are. And well, and I really love how Rusty views his own ego. You know, he's got this like you know kind of self loathing Geppetto, who is you know just all this mounting work, and he's trying to to fix his little boy puppet. 
you know, his little like Doc Pinocchio, like, you know, obviously represents his, his broken his, childhood. His, yeah, his shattered childhood. Um, no, I mean, and it, like on one hand, it totally shows you like the self victimizing, like, you know, the, the pity party that Doc is always having for himself while simultaneously justifying the pity party that he always has for himself. Yeah. Did you notice how ripped Ego Doc was? Oh, dude, yeah. Ego Doc is like, I mean, that dude's carved out of wood. Like, like that dude's got some broad shoulders. And, you know, this real quick. We got an introduction to some of the Greek mythological elements earlier with Eros and Thanatos. The it, of course, is almost dressed up like uh, like a little uh, um, uh, god of love, right? You know, like he's just all desire and wantonness, right? And uh, we get to the ego, and the ego is very much Hephaestus, right? Like very much the workman, you know, who is sober, yeah. Yeah, punched over his desk, and you know you've got one of the little parts of Leviathan, one of the zombies back there. He's like, I don't even know what these things are, but they make a mess of everything. <laughs> yeah, I love that he swats him away, like you know, <laughs> just a like a you know stray dog, yep. you know, like he's chewing on something. Like, ah, oh, get out, you know, get out my yard. Yep. Yeah, and of course, if they want Ego's help, they're going to have to help him repair his broken childhood and orpheus has a plan for that which we'll see carry out in just a minute because we got to bounce back to hatred and samson who are almost making up at this point because they're bonding about uh dean firing off a couple of leg shots (laughs) hatred's like i taught him that but samson i think you know begrudgingly accepts a little bit um but again they're competing for the love of the kids while that's happening, the monarch is still trapped inside Doc Venture's brain, and things are really starting to heat up. Then we're back to 21, and Dr. Misses the monarch, and that's when 21 makes his move. Oh, no. Yeah, like, it's a, it's a couple of quick cuts um, through, a, through a lot of important things going on there, and all kind of, you know, climaxing to that big kiss that, like, you know, you want Gary to have. Yeah. Like, it's because on some level you know you're rooting for gary i mean i know i am again i just went on this whole spiel about you know the hench for life tattoo right but um you know in this whole thing you know he's giving the you know the i guess let's call it the nice guy speech you know well of course you know you're with him but like do you think you could ever like you know maybe do better like somebody <laughs> you, know, you know obviously talking about himself and teeing himself up and now he thinks it's working. Like he goes in for the kiss, he shoots his shot, and it works. Yeah. Like she seems to be into it, but you know, come to find out, that's just because they're swingers. Right. Well, I'd also like to point out that we're seeing a little bit of a parallel here between what's going on with Twenty One and Sheila, and what's going on with who they're meeting because they just met with the ID, and things are starting to ramp up. We're starting to see this tension develop with uh, Twenty One and Sheila, and then we get to the ego which is where reality is going to come crashing in. But of course it's a little bit delayed in their section versus what we're going through with Rusty. Well, and that's when uh, like, you know, you see Pete and Billy like, you know, in there with, you know, Geppetto Rusty um, working on things. And, you know, what I love about Pete and Billy in any version of like reality, you know, um, is they're just like, 
Heckle and Jekyll. They're <laughs> Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, so they're, they're just, it's not working. But then, like, you know, uh, Orpheus comes back and he's got all the, the girls, you know, from the, the bed, like all of Rusty's, like, you know, knuckle children fantasies. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, they ask him, is like, you know, well, I brought, you know, all these, you know, maybe these can, they can help you, you know, mend your little boy. And he's like, yes, absolutely. He's like, well, what did you have to do to get me? He's like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. So <laughs> he shows up with all these, like, sexy that's a good girls friend, by the way, to help put together Rusty's shattered childhood. And that's when we bounce back to uh, Orpheus and Samson had their uh, conversation cut short when they heard uh, Dean scream. They then we see them outside, and Dean is running around. Shirley was out there. He's like, "Hank and I were throwing the ball," and then Dean just started crying like a little baby. Dean's going, "Make it stop! Make it stop! Make it stop!" And they take a look at it, and what has happened to Dean? He sat in the fire ant nest. Yeah, you sat in the brown dirt, didn't you? Uh, <laughs> Which, uh, according to the commentary for the episode, is a thing that actually happened to Doc Hammer as a kid. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it, man. If you've grown up in the South, and I don't know where he grew up. I'm sure it's a bunch of different places now. Like, firents are a thing. Like, firents have happened to all my kids because kids are dumb. And you try and tell them not to go next to these places. And they do. Although, uh, Ha Won, when Ha Won was in, uh, I want to say, kindergarten. Um, he knew not to touch the fire ants, so he convinced the other kids in his class to do it so he could watch. (laughs) So every one of the students in Hawan's class got fire And you're talking about... (laughs) Except for my son, who started it all. Man, and you're talking about my career in supervillainy? There you go. Oh, man. It wasn't from a malicious place. He's not a malicious kid. He was just curious. You know, the, uh, the first time... <laughs> you're I, so... <laughs> Never mind. Oh, I'm sorry. The first time <laughs> I ever got stung by fire ants was down in Georgia, and I was trying to convince a little girl that those ants were not bad and they wouldn't hurt you because I had oh. never met fire ants before. <laughs> and they all marched out on my hand just in a little row, and then they spread out, and then they all stung at once. And I was like, oh, okay, lesson learned. Oh, yes. Um, so quick fun fact about the fire ant. Do you know the fire ant is not native to yep. here? Uh, they were imported into Mobile, Alabama in 1918. 1918. And just been working their way north since. Yeah, it was accidentally brought in on a, sh- on a shipment. And they just, they've all grown from there. Like, they're just all over the place. They're horrible and horrifying. And, like, you know, they're actually the only ants with venom. Oh, man. Jeez. You know, like, if we ever get Chester A. Arthur's time machine working, (laughs) I'm going back in time and throat punching that captain. Yeah. Like, uh uh-uh. Check your shipment, bro. (laughs) Right. Like, (laughs) who who burned that ship in our... Just trust me. Yeah. Like, everybody will be much happier. (laughs) You know, there's probably an alternate universe out there that is exactly like our universe, except happier and more peaceful because fire ants were never brought in in 1918. Yep. Well, it's probably like, no, no, we've weaponized them. Now, now Brazil rules the world. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> 
<laughs> They've become the dominant species on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> like they control the global economy. <laughs> right. Everything we our trade is pain. <laughs> so we get uh finally to the superego. And from a Freudian perspective, can you explain a little bit about what the superego is? Well, uh it's the aspirational version of yourself. Uh it's it's what you aspire to. Um, so to kind of put this in the, the rusty venture, right. So, uh, rusty himself is kind of, you know, bad postured, thin, no, you know, bald, uh, you know, uh, God shaves the top of his head, but he has to do the sides. (laughs) Um, whereas the super ego is like six foot four barrel chested. He looks like his dad. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just gorgeous like head of like ginger clark kent hair and a ph an actual like not honorary phd on the wall (laughs) yep when they get to the superego they get to dr rusty and the superego is essentially morality right the 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 way freud kind of had it set up the ego is reality the id is instinct and desire a little caligula there Uh, and the superego is morality and he's like, oh, you need my help? I just haven't been called upon in so long. <laughs> well, and I just, I love that um, it's one of those things, uh, you know, kind of what I love about how they play with structure on the show. Like, this is one of those quests where it, things actually get progressively easier. Like, yes, they do. Yeah, oh, I mean, oh, really, once you get to super ego, all you have to do is ask that guy for help, and he doesn't want you to do any weird hand stuff. Right. <laughs> right. No, no, put the gloves away. We won't need Right. Them. I see you've been hanging out with it again. It's not that kind of party here. Like... Yeah. <laughs> no, no, don't eat the mashed potatoes. <laughs> so we get the super ego to let us into the next room where we see that things are about to go into critical condition. They've got to get inside master control and they're trying to figure out how to get in there. And the super ego comes up with a plan, which is we can get through the tragic memory ducks. And that's when Orpheus has his realization. Well, the tragic memory ducks lead everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I really, uh, I, I love that they, they're very apt to point that out. Like, he's just riddled with tragic memories, and that's how, like, you know, this roaming horde of guilt and pain is just making its way through his everyday life. Well, and it's also the secret to how they're going to defeat the monarch. Because right. what they end up doing is calling upon Leviathan, a.k.a. this horde of dead boys, all the dead Hank and Deans, all this guilt, fear, self-loathing, and start flooding master control with thinking, the thinking. zombie boys. What's that? So you were like fear, self-loathing, stinking thinking. Dilly dallying. Yeah. <laughs> so they send the boys in, and the boys get the monarch, which causes him to wake up at an incredibly inopportune moment. Well, and before we get to there, like you know, before, you know, we, 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 you know, uh, see, see Gary, um, and all of his hopes just, you know, scattered to the wind. 
Um, this is my favorite thing about this whole episode is this moment right here. Doc Venture himself is so used to, but also consumed with like, you know, like fear and pain and self-loathing that it literally consumes the monarch. (laughs) Like the monarch really thinks like, I mean, and I think that that at the moment, it really, that's why the monarch hates you know, Rusty Venture on a very topical level is because he can't hate Rusty Venture as much as he hates himself. Like, Rusty Venture hates himself so much, like, the monarch can only dream of hating Rusty that much. Yeah. Which is saying a lot. Yeah, and I mean, just the literal, like, Doc's guilt consuming the monarch. (laughs) I was like, yes. So there are actually a couple of little things from this. Um, so we're kind of heading into the, the last little denouement of the episode here where, you know, Brock and Samson, or sorry, Brock and hatred have gone outside. Doc is left all by himself inside. Everybody's outside. And then they're trying to fix Dean's ass. They're hosing <laughs> him down and like, like a surely put like Sprite on it. Like you just fed the ants, like they're hosing him down. He's like, the boys aren't your problem. They're not your problem. They're my problem. At which point, Rusty walks out. He's like, no, you're wrong. They're my problem. And then he starts laying down the law. He's like, sure, leave. Go do something. Brock, stop hosing him down. Dean, stop, or Hank, stop laughing against your brother. Dean, go hop in the shower. Hatred, get this stuff off of me. What is this? I mean, it's just bam, 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 right? And we see him step into his role as a father in a way that we haven't seen in a hot minute as both a father and a boss and you know the the relationships that he's ostensibly supposed to have with these people he's suddenly actualizing and we see a little bit later on in the episode but i think it is the direct impact of orpheus letting the super ego out i think this is one area where we actually see legitimate change in rusty venture well, and just like, you know, I want to see the short video, like, or like short art film or whatever of all the attempts, you know, from the first cut of them trying with the boys to Orpheus, you know, cutting like all the way through. Like, I want to see all of those attempts. I also want to see like, you know, maybe an 11 minute little short cartoon about how the super ego gets put back in his cell. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. inevitably, you know, it happens. Yeah. yeah. How long was he out? How long did this last? Because I mean, you know, like you you don't you get the impression that this did this was not a lasting change. This is not like it's like therapy. You know, he would have had to have kept going. Right. <laughs> it's like dropping ecstasy. It only lasts as long as you're willing to hold on to it. Right. <laughs> well, from there. Dr. Monarch, wait, or I'm sorry, Monarch wakes up and he sees Dr. Mrs. The Monarch and 21 kissing over. And he, he's, he's like, what's going on here? And she just <laughs> says, nothing. And then 21 says, anymore. <laughs> anymore. Oh. <laughs> so oh. sad. So close. And we get to Doc, who has said, you know, the kids are my problem, sitting alone by himself in his living room, the same place where uh, the best little whorehouse in Texas was so not satisfying for him <laughs> and dean i'm sorry hank comes in and he's like you know dr orpheus says you may never be the same and that's when we get a moment of real parenting and self-realization 
from Rusty Venture. He said, like a nightmare? What happened when I was... He starts talking about what happened on his 16th birthday when his dad had invited all these playmates and prostitutes and all these like beautiful women. Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. Yeah, for his, uh, for his birthday party. And then... Actual whores. Yeah. <laughs> when he gets called up, right? The guest of honor, Rusty Venture, he gets called up. Uh, action Man shoots his pants with a shrink ray and then Colonel Gentleman pulls down his swim trunks. Uh, yeah, in so front of everybody. Yeah, like so, Action Man pants him, and then you know, Colonel Gentleman hits his hits his junk with the shrink ray. Um, which you know, on one hand, sounds like the the kind of thing Rusty Venture would say to make up for shrinkage. <laughs> right, but then Although, on the do other you, hand, do you doubt that this happened. Well, no, and then on the other hand, like. Knowing exactly how Rusty grew up, no, this is completely plausible. Like uh, one of the things uh, me and uh, you know Robo Bob were talking about not long ago was like the the action man, like you know waking him up with the gun, like not, not today, today, Rusty. Rusty. <laughs> right. <laughs> like so, no, I could totally see that happen. Like oh. it, it's weird because you could see it play both ways. I don't doubt that it happened. I'm just you know. Doc whines about stuff like that oh. all the time, where you think it's hyperbole, but then maybe it's not. It, yeah, it no, that, that, that happened to him. Right. Well, and that's where we get, like, what happened today? That's like a nightmare. What happened when I was 16? That's my life. Oh. <laughs> like, because, and, and of course, he's so sanguine about the whole thing. Like, he seems relaxed. Like, all those painful, releasing all those painful memories has freed him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, and you have to think, it was something we talked about, uh, you know, some time ago, like, why don't boys unlock his, you know, unlock the, the, the gate to his soul? Because, you know, at some point, um, maybe just seeing the boys die so many times has really numbed him to it. And but so- if that were the case... They wouldn't be the thing that haunts him most of all. Well, I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't feel guilty about it. Right. I'm just saying, like, you know, he, he on some level, it's like um, it, the guilt perpetuates the cloning, but it's almost like not getting to it. Like, you saw that movie Bird Box, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boy and girl. Like, you really want don't give them names. Drive. Yeah, don't give them names. But unfortunately, He's already got like, you know, a naming convention and a cloning process. And like, again, all of this is perpetuated by guilt. And then, I mean, I know we try not to talk about too many spoilers down the line, but I'm going to go ahead and break that just for the sake of like conversation. So, you know, if you're not into season seven right now, bail. Oh, right. (laughs) um, Knowing that Rusty Venture himself is a clone and even may be aware of that. Like, we currently don't know if he's aware. But again, like, I mean, we don't know what that clone life is like. Like, it's like the jokes that they make about, like, Marvel comics and stuff, and especially the Marvel movies. Like, you know, there's a revolving door in heaven. Like, you know, there's no deaths are permanent. Everybody comes back. Except for Bucky and Uncle Ben. Right. Uncle Ben. Bucky back. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but like, yeah, I mean, 
it's that kind of like, I wonder what kind of psychological toll that takes nope. on a person. I mean, and that's what they're kind I of actively exploring with, with oh, Hank and Dean, you know, at the moment. Um, so let's take this opportunity to reflect a little bit on what we've covered between this episode and our previous episodes. What have we legit learned about Rusty Venture? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's obviously pretty complicated. Uh, he is definitely like damaged goods by, by every stretch of the imagination. But like the times that he is redeemable is like, you know, they're, while few and far between are completely like, you know, just out of left field. Um, and kind of hit you like a ton of bricks. Like you don't ever expect him to have that kind of yeah. maturity in him. And, well, and yet somehow he produces. Well, it. I mean, he's just incredibly, I would say. He How about you, RoboBob? In many ways, he doesn't seem tough at all. And in many ways, he's very vulnerable. But he's got a real strength of character, too. I mean, considering all that he's been through. And it's just the life that, that he leads. And he's accepted it. Um, not, you know, grudgingly, of course, but yeah, I'd say he's, you know, I, he's, you see why he's like he is and, and, and you see that he's going to keep being that way for probably the first, you know, the rest of his life. One of the things uh -huh. that I am hoping that we get to in season eight is the real non-clone Rusty shows up and he is totally self-actualized. <laughs> like the, the one Rusty from the, the end of uh, Perchance to Dean? Yeah. Like where the, he up, you know, with like full yeah. head of hair dressed yeah. like in pinstripes as his dad. Yeah. Let's call him Rusty Prime. Like, one day, Rusty Venture meets Rusty Prime. And Rusty Prime was like, I abandoned that life. I faked my own death, abandoned that life, and you got to inherit everything I was supposed to have, but I didn't want it. And <laughs> he shows up, and it, of course he's got to die some horrible death at the end of the episode. But, like, <laughs> just the, seeing, you know, Rusty realize that that could have been him, because I feel like he's always kind of presented himself as being the absolute victim of his circumstances without any real agency. And the only thing yeah. that he's really good at is milking an opportunity by doing it wrong. Like he's oh, constantly yeah. milking the, the, the wrong opportunities like Spanish fly, which we'll get to a little bit later. Right. <laughs> um, so to see actual successful self-actualized rusty show up, who went through the same things our Rusty did, right? Because, again, Rusty would have gotten all those memories. Someone who went through the same things and just managed to get out. He's like, no, this is too toxic for me, right? Like, what happens when, if that happens? Like, do you get a situation where Rusty can achieve real growth? Because that's really what this whole thing is about. We've understood Rusty Venture's mind, how damaged he is, the pity parties that he throws himself and who he views himself to be in his own mind. Okay. And what is it that is going to allow him 
to actually uh, like essentially crown Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, like on one hand, uh, I would love to see that episode. On the other hand, I don't ever want. Well, I, 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 you know what? I always want Rusty to be a Sisyphus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I always want him to almost get there and fail, um, because that's that's always like, I don't know. Uh, that's just where he thrives as an individual is almost succeeding and like everything literally burning down. Like that's one of the things I've always loved about the show is right. They will burn things to the ground in a very literal manner, like the venture compound. The venture compound. When they burn the manor to the ground. Well, and then like, uh, was it uh, Phantom Limb and slash you know the monarch like you know the the whoever's kind of leading the guild at the moment like that really nice pad in Malice, um, yeah. the monarch's cocoon. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, uh, Brock's mullet. Like I'll say, that's Damon. I'll say it. <laughs> um, By so the now, way, real quick on Brock's mullet, can we discuss for just a moment once this conversation has run its course about how the mullet has come back? I, well, I mean, if it was on the front, it wouldn't be a mullet, <laughs> dude. I don't know if you're seeing it, and I would love to place the resurgence of the mullet on Brock Sampson's gloriously uh, festooned shoulders. But it is, the mullet is back, brother. It is back with a vengeance. Well, and you know what? Actually, uh, maybe that's the the next series we need to hit is like, you know, a a good like three episode, like, you know, examination of like the Swedish murder machine. A three episode examination of what? The Swedish murder machine. (laughs) right like because i mean okay uh you you get a few episodes that give you of you know the the same kind of deep dive into brock um and you see that he's got kind of a tragic past um and we can even dip into some later episodes but you know we'll get there going going back into you know dr venture and his whole like you know what what i hope to see for him in season eight i want i love about the show is they play around with the idea of what is the venture brothers like you come back to season two, Jonas Jr. and Rusty. You know, we're the Venture Brothers. Yeah. Um, I want like a whole season of legit like Monarch yeah. and Rusty doing some like family counseling while simultaneously still arching each other. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the brother relationship anyway? Beast. Uh, I'm I'm projecting. I'm calling, <laughs> like, oh, I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that being said, um, we have really covered a lot of ground with Rusty Venture, whether it was with the Doctor of Sin, uh, where we saw how uh, Rusty's fulfillment is almost a villain arc, and that he chose not to do that like his one redeeming quality is that when the chips are down he'll begrudgingly do the right thing even though it causes him moral pain (laughs) well and you know man uh kind of like i've been going back through and uh you know adult swim has this wonderful feature called marathons where you just put it on and it's like literally just a stream of you know back-to-back episodes of whatever show 
So I'll put that on and I'll watch Venture Brothers. And going back in episodes, we didn't even cover. Like the end of season one, he stops Brock from killing Jonas Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, like, you know, that was one of those like, and it's always the same setup. Like just the second yeah. you don't expect him to have and, a heart, he, he the grows time three times its size. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. right. <laughs> My diet pills because I'm tripolar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And with our examination of Rusty Venture drawing to a close, Bob, uh, Robobob, do you have any um, uh, predictions about what we might honestly, see from Dr. I, Venture in season I, eight? I, I, I'm going to, I don't know what we would see per se. I'm As far as what I'd want to see, I, I definitely want to kind of see him keep to who he is but uh i don't know um it, i i have no idea what's coming i really don't i mean you know i mean i i've watched this show for years and years and kind of we never you know, do that is the beauty about, of the venture oh, brothers well so and so's really this guy and so and so's that guy or they're they're related in this way or that way and and sometimes I've been wrong, sometimes I've been right. But, you know, as far as the character himself, there was something you guys said earlier about uh, Beast said it, it about him failing. And years ago, I heard, uh, I think it was an interview with Jackson Pollock, uh, Jackson Pollock and Doc Hammer. And they said um, one of the real uh, tra- things of the show, one of the real successes is that it's always about characters failing. And uh, I'm I'm not sure what that uh, that failure is. I I want to brush up on yeah. seasons uh, six and seven again because uh, it's been a while since I've seen them. But uh, my goodness, what a ride! All right. So before we wrap up, guys, um, being that we are all you know fathers, so we can also kind of like you know. Uh, I, I guess we can peer review Rusty on that level. So <laughs> on a scale from Greg Brady to Stannis Baratheon, where does Rusty <laughs> Venture fall? <laughs> oh, good I'm Lord. putting him right next to Captain Spaulding, like just shy of Captain Spaulding. Oh. Because I mean, okay gory like crazy you know weird mutilation stuff aside like and i'm just talking about about. scamp i'm not even talking about zombie stuff (laughs) right so basically it's the same story where uncles like you know uh was it uh uncle spaulding is dragging his kids on like you know this crazy you know semi-murderous well i say semi it's very murderous in their case uh a road trip um captain spaulding is his name uh, you know, road trip, you know, through America on, on these few movies. And that's exactly what, you know, Doc Venture does to the boys. You know, these amoral road trips and really doesn't care what he's doing to them. I would put him right around yeah, remember the, the movie the, the Frailty. That could recognize demons. With Bill Paxton and Matthew McConaughey. You know, right. the dad that can see demons and like raises his boys to kill demons. I kind of put him on that level because he's 
trying yeah. to do right by well, his kids. It's like he knows he's just he's really to care, bad at it. But then in the end, he only cares about himself more often than not. You know. Well, let's see. A father figure who knows there he's supposed go. to care, but just lets his kids die all the time. Oh, yeah. Every Star Trek. Hey, hey Private Red. <laughs> you know. Ow. <laughs> too, too soon? Right. Like, mm. um, no, nah, I mean, in terms like, okay, so like... Clearly, I mean, he's he's not like a um, a Danny Tanner by by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. Like we can we can definitely kind of hop over that. But like, is he more of a Homer Simpson? No, because Homer loves his kids. He he's kind of like a a Rodrigo board a Rodrigo Borgia. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> minus minus all the incest, right? Like. <laughs> No, uh, you know what he is? Just except for like he doesn't identify dark with thing. the dark side, but right? He's not trying to well, here's the thing, he's not trying to kill his kids. He's not trying to kill his kids. I get that. But he's also very like they'll be fine until it's time to join me to overthrow the Emperor. <laughs> oh well, and I mean very much like Clearly, Vader has a favorite child I mean, between Luke and Leia. Dean, there's one that's uh, oh. <laughs> a crap. Who? <laughs> I just realized who Rusty Venture is. Yeah. Al Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> Super science, Al Bundy. Dude, yeah, one hundred percent. Think about it, like. Al Bundy has a, like, his whole arc oh, yeah. was begrudging, right? Which is Doc's, Doc's character to a T. Well, I guess character to an R, I guess. But, like, Al Bundy was like, okay, I'll parent when I have to. Fine. Fine. I'll parent. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, and he clearly had his favorite. You know, Dad, Bud, like the beer? Yep. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well no and i, I, I like dean is named after yes, roger indeed. dean the cover artist hey man roger dean did some good work oh no no i mean i'm not hating on it in fact uh i've my kids have started watching teen titans go and uh i've gotten into there was this one episode that i fell asleep to and they're doing like it's a synth prog rock soundtrack <laughs> the whole time. and like i woke up and I was like, "All right, let's get some rush." Like, <laughs> cult. Like, I made a Spotify playlist. Was the episode eighty minutes long and only three scenes? <laughs> I, I mean, dude, it, the whole background looks like a Lisa Frank poster. If no, I, dude, if Lisa Frank wants to be Roger Dean. <laughs> like, Roger Dean is what happens when psychedelics meat like when you go when you take wow. a bunch of mushrooms and go walking in the woods that's a roger dean cover <laughs> right no i get you um no i mean uh one of the things i've yeah. realized about teen titans go it's venture brothers for dc fans that you can watch with your family <laughs> like there's a lot yeah. of references um and not you can tell which ones are made for the kids and which ones are made for the adults because like there's a ton of Watchmen references. 
Um, <laughs> and like the show's geared toward 10 year olds. And if your 10 year old has seen Watchmen, you failed as a parent. Um, I'm, I'm taking personal exception to that. Because, <laughs> like, I, I feel like I am a great parent because I gave my kid that graphic novel and was like, Daddy, what? Dude, he, he just got Daddy, done with maps. Like, I'm doing my job as a woman? parent. Oh, yeah. Here's a book with a big blue dick. Go. <laughs> <laughs> well, son, you remember that thing you walked in on last week? <laughs> you remember, you remember when I was telling you about wiggle hugs? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, just to give you a little bit of backstory. Uh, me and Beast Lamode and my now wife were hanging out back Aww. in the day. And, and actually, just for those of you who don't know, Beast Lamode actually introduced me to my wife. Yeah. So uh, we were talking <laughs> about how you would explain sex to kids. And we came up with the idea of the wiggle hug. And we have used that as a, uh, as, as a oh, descriptive yes. reference. Beautiful. It is simultaneously poetry, like truly descriptive and very onomatopoeic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go give my wife some poetry later. <laughs> go give her a little, little wiggle hug. Make a little beast with two yeah. backs. Some, some wiggle huggins. Um, so here's what we've got. Uh, we've got an opportunity to kind of wrap up Rusty Venture. And I think we've successfully navigated his character, his personality. All that's left now is to, if you were going to present Rusty to someone who didn't mm -hmm. know him, how would you break him down? Hmm. One of the things I look at when I see Rusty Venture, failure right. being the operative word, but I've literally tried to describe to people what the Venture Brothers is about, and it always boils down to the same thing. Imagine Johnny Quest grew up and was oh, as yeah, damaged exactly. as a human and, and being they, would really be know, from having your dad put you in peril that many times. And Haji... Uh, Rajni, but uh, yeah, that's entirely what it is. It's he's just Johnny Quest all grown up, and now he's got the Hardy Boys for kids, and he, and he's doing it to them. So. <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah, he I mean, is. that's that's the one thing I guess I would use to, you know, uh, kind of describe the the show as a whole and i mean and let's be honest like that's the the whole like point that the show is presupposed from is is the right. fixated you know the, the the fixed point of the universe of you know rusty venture um you know you learn about like you know the the culture that came before you know and what's you know how that kind of affects what's happening now and that all like you know hinges because his dad's dead you know, he's the one carrying the super science legacy and stuff. Um, so to me, huh. like, yep. if I could sum it up in like two words, I would just say like generational trauma. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, um, generational trauma set against the backdrop of uh, <laughs> generational trauma set against the backdrop of the future is wow. 
<laughs> Welcome to the Dimaxian future. Like, <laughs> by the way, uh, uh, my wife and I, uh, Doctor Mrs. Uh, Professor Savage, um, and I watched Naked Gun thirty three and a third last night. And one of my favorite points in that entire movie is when they're reading off. They're like it kind of happens in the background. They're reading off the Best Picture nominees, and one of them <laughs> is the story of one woman's struggle oh. against bulimia, set against the backdrop of the Donner Party massacre. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, and you know, I, I kind of feel like that's the Venture Brothers in a like, lot of ways. To his environment, to his background. And I'm there's a thing I see, too. I think there was a future promise by Jonas Venture Sr. And that future never actually came true. And Rusty and the boys are still living in the echoes, you know, of that future that didn't happen so that's why they have like the technology you know, they have the learning beds and that's why rusty is just so yeah. maladjusted to almost everything is because that big bright dream you know the, the big statue outside the house of jonas with rusty on his shoulder you know that never really that brighter world never came true right Well, and it was never true, even when it was happening. Like, that's kind of the thing. Like, you know, what you're describing is the kids' right. TV show. And what Rusty's image of it was, was having to murder a guy so it doesn't kill your dad. <laughs> well, yeah, and you like, know? you know, going back to the whole, like, living in the, the echoes of the, the promised future, right? What I love about it is uh, the technology that you're dealing with in certain areas, right? Kind of, kind of pinpoints right. that, like... Uh, You've got communicator watches in a world where smartphones exist. (laughs) You know, like you've literally got like, you know, Dick Tracy versus Verizon here. And don't get me wrong. (laughs) I love the video communicator watches. I would have one like and smart watches are a thing. So, again, that was kind of ahead of like, you know, a weird uh, ahead of its time type thing, even though it's a a retro callback. Um, But, yeah, I mean, just those like, you know, weird technologies. Um, you know, kind of, it, it's very Buckminster Fuller's version of the future versus what actually I happened. Love Bucky Fuller, and that's why I, I brought him love, up. Love, <laughs> love, 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 love that man so much. I cannot. It just. Ugh, I want to live in Bucky Fuller's world. I want that. Yeah. No. It's I mean, on at NC State. Yeah. And I mean, dude, like doing like some research into the uh, the Dimaxian future line of of products um, yeah. was an interesting thing. And I mean, and like he he's kind of like uh, Jonas, like senior without the physique. Like Bucky Fuller was kind of a portly dude, but <laughs> uh, like you That's know, why he needed a twelve person car that got eighty miles per gallon, right? <laughs> but like his whole aspiration for the future, I think. That's exactly like guys like him and Tesla and Jack Parsons. Like those are the guys that, you know, um, their image and like their futurism is what crafted, you know, the, the Jetsons. We know well, yeah, the, the Jetsons version of the future that we all were, you know, yeah. complaining about not having flying cars. I mean, uh, dude, I don't care about a flying car. Where's my freaking jetpack? <laughs> Like I, I'm a simple man. I just want my damn jetpack. 
I mean, really, I just, I want teleporters where you don't have to kill yourself to teleport, like, you know, you basically, like, you know, <laughs> teleporting <laughs> based on the, the models that work, like, you destroy the, the, the copy that was in the thing, and then you rebuild one on the other end. No, I don't want that. That's just cloning and killing. I've seen the prestige. I loved yeah. seeing a hundred <laughs> dead Hugh Jackmans in a box. It was one of my favorite things. I still have what it on that? like a screenshot on my computer right now. <laughs> Do you know why I don't want teleportation? What would everybody? Do you know just how hard it would in? be to see any concert? Um, everybody from everywhere in the world could go. Hey, have you heard about this hey, new band? Oh, crap, here's, an, here's an answer. Okay, well, what about this? Oh crap! Everybody's already there. Well, what about? Oh damn it! Wait a minute. Like, so you don't want teleporting so you can't be an aging hipster? No, no, no. <laughs> I don't want teleporting. Well, what if you just imagine, well, I mean, that, that's <laughs> that's imagine the real out. world consequences. <laughs> there. Right, right. Right? Yes, because you have the original. You make all these clones and copies and just kill the clones. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, hey, man. What do you do with the Clones are people, too. Uh, According to the Venture Brothers, so far. No, no, you couldn't. You you guys Uh, can't see this because this is an audio medium. People, too. Yeah, yeah. This is is a dad joke. (laughs) (laughs) I got it. From dads to dads. By dads and for dads. And that sounds like a great place to wrap up today's episode before we get to a full two hours. (laughs) Right. So uh, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Brock Savage. It has been a pleasure being here with you, along with my two co-hosts, my longtime companion, Beast Lamode, and of course, our new addition, RoboBo's long-distance cousin. Long, thank you, thank you. Winded it's, friend it's been a pleasure. And librarian awesome. par excellence, Robo Bob. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Cheers. Well, uh, you guys have a great evening and uh, wash your hands. <laughs> right. <laughs> Indeed. Well, guys, once again, thanks for joining us. And we will catch you.